Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage. We're really excited to have uh, today's guest with us. He burst onto the scene as a solo artist in 2016. His first two albums alone yielded six number one hits. He now has four albums to his credit, is becoming one of the most popular artists in smooth jazz. He's a regular on smooth jazz radio and the touring scene. He's played with the likes of Dave Koz, Brian Culbertson, Jennifer Lopez, and many more. He is a songwriter, producer, guitarist extraordinaire, and educator. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Adam Hawley. Adam, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? We're doing good, man. It's our pleasure to have you. Thank you for making time. So I got to tell you, man, I, um, you know, in, in just six short years, You've had nine number one hits, four albums. You've been the Smooth Jazz Artist of the Year. I just saw something the other day where you have like six or seven songs that either are your songs or songs you produced on Billboard charts at the same time. That's a pretty meteoric start to a career, man. That's pretty cool. Oh, well, you're too kind. You know, I, it's a blessing. I, I feel fortunate every day. Uh, and uh, this was my dream. You know, I'm yeah. from Oregon. Mm-hmm. I grew up wanting to uh, do something in the industry. I wasn't sure what, but okay. that led me to mo- moving to Los Angeles in 2002. So, yeah, this in August will be 20 years wow. in L.A. Wow. OK. And uh, and I've been through a lot of different phases of my career, you know, uh, playing around town, doing weddings and bar mitzvahs to uh, touring with different artists like Manhattan Transfer, Natalie Cole, yeah. Jennifer Lopez. But yeah, when I got into the contemporary jazz scene in 2013, I started touring with Brian Culbertson. Uh And um, I was like, wow, this is just awesome. I just love the camaraderie. I love the family-like atmosphere. It's just how supportive everyone was, you know? And and so ever since then, I've just been grinding on it. As you mentioned, my first record came out six years ago in 2016. And yeah, it's, I, I feel really blessed. Actually, Sorry to uh, to be a nitpicker, but uh, actually reached ten number one. Ten, in okay, great, and congratulations. Uh, and, but you're exactly right. I have quite a few tunes on the radio right now that I have produced, and uh, so yeah, just feel really fortunate. Yeah, that's that's great because I mean I know a lot of people, you know, don't have you know work a long time and to get a hit right, and and it's a it's a testament certainly to you know to you your ability to come out and be so strong so soon and so early in your career so it just you know a lot i'm sure there's lots of lots more great stuff to come so so did you know did you you did you always know that you wanted to be a musician yes yeah okay so that's the what that's the one thing i did know so as far back as i can remember um you know, I found my parents' record collection. They had a, a they they're not big music people. They don't they're okay. not musicians. They don't listen to a ton of music, but they did have a few vinyl records lying around. I would say maybe maybe thirty or forty. Okay, but uh, a few of those really caught my eye. You know, I, I definitely remember finding uh, "That's the Way the World" Earth Wind oh, and yeah. Fire in their collection, and uh, they had a Brothers Johnson record. I remember that distinctly. They also had a lot of cassettes. So I remember the okay. Time Life. Uh, collections 1960 1961 62 uh-huh. etc so um yeah i really got into motown early on and uh and so yeah you know i just i just kept bugging them hey i want to play the guitar i want to play the guitar i want to play the guitar and i think they were worried about um 
you know, the uh, kind of uh, the stereotype, sex, drugs, rock oh, and roll. Oh, yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So my mom made me play piano. And thank goodness she did, because I actually play more piano than anything. Really? Um, uh, yeah, in terms of writing and production uh-huh. and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I started piano at eight and guitar at nine. And, uh, yeah, just kept running with it. Huh. So when you're in your process of making music, do you start do you start with the piano before you get to guitar or, or how does that work for you? It usually starts on the piano. Okay. Yeah, it usually starts with um, with uh, I'll, I'll pull up like a drum groove, just let it play, let it loop. And then the nice thing about the piano is, is in the right hand, you've got the chords and in the left hand, you've got the bass line. So you can if you got a drum loop running and then with the, that with the piano, uh, now you've got a you've got basically the the groundwork for a tune yeah, just right yeah. there okay you know okay. and then of course I'll later you know replace things replay the 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 roads or the piano part um, drop in an actual bass add guitars um, but yeah a lot of the tunes start with the groove and then I'll find the melody later um, with a few exceptions one of my uh, tunes that I was fortunate enough to to reach the top of the charts I don't mind off of my first record. It started with the melody. That's all I had. And I was like, man, that <laughs> is catchy. Uh-huh. And that's that's all I had. And so I spent a lot of an inordinate amount of time um, figuring out how to write a track around that melody because I just I believed uh-huh. in that melody. And uh, so that 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 was uh, one of the exceptions. But normally it's the groove and then followed by the melody. Yeah. So you mentioned that you, 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 you when you first got into this contemporary jazz world, you started with touring with Brian Culbertson. And uh, yeah. how, how old were you when you started started touring or, or working professionally as a musician? You know, I started pretty early. So yeah. I started playing at eight. Uh, eight and nine and pretty early on uh, I would say I was about 11 when I started touring. Wow. uh, So I was touring all over Oregon and Washington Uh and um, I was in a bluegrass band, believe it or not. Okay. And uh, yeah. And, and that was, um, I I didn't necessarily seek it out. It's a lovely genre, but, uh, but yeah, it wasn't my first thought necessarily. But what happened is that uh, uh, my guitar teacher had a fellow, uh, one of the one of his other students, other than me, was in a band and they needed a guitarist. And okay. so um, he thought of me, recommended me, and bam, we were out uh, touring like a month later. So what is that like at a, as at eleven years old? You're out and you're touring. How, I mean, like most kids are just trying to find their skateboard. I know, I know. <laughs> it was pretty. It was it was such a great experience. Just just getting into um you know the routine of, yeah. of building a set you know having banter in between songs it's all the little things you know it's actually when you get out on the road it has not a lot to do with actually the music hopefully you already can play yeah and then it's everything else it's dealing with the travel um you know making sure your energy peaks for the show mm-hmm. um you know uh trying to play a perfect show because generally you, you pretty much play a similar set each show so you start focusing in on the details and um so no it was a fantastic experience so i did that for about a year and uh, and then uh and then in high school i started another band uh-huh. and uh, we did a lot of blues and and uh, blues rock and once again we toured all over oregon washington for two years i would say from 16 to 18 we were okay. touring all over the northwest and uh 
and so yeah, so those were my beginnings before moving to LA and and uh, you know doing doing some more serious things for yeah, sure. Yeah. So with all these different artists that you've worked for, these 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 really top notch artists, what did you take and learn from them that you incorporated into your solo career? Yeah, you know, it, it, it was a great experience to go out and and learn under the greats, and and uh, I mentioned a few of them, but yeah, also uh, Culbertson and Dave Cause and and Gerald Albright mm-hmm. and Huge Groove and all of these Kirk Whalem, and so yeah, it's great because um, you can you can kind of pick and choose. Man, I really like what this guy does with his yeah. uh, how he talks to the audience. And I really like what this artist does in terms of his arrangements, uh, his musical arrangements. And so you can pick the best of all of those and then you end up with your own style. Uh-huh. And I think that's what's important, too, is to not, you know, take too much from any one artist because then now you're a clone. Yeah. And I always feel like, what, what's the point of that? You know, they're they're great. They have their own legacy. And especially if they're still out touring, like we don't need two of them. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great so, point. And I won't mention any names, but there's also, you, you know, there's times when you're on the road and, and you notice something that's, uh, okay, I'm not going to do that when I yeah, start my own band. Sure. You know? Absolutely. So, and that's a great, that's a great learning experience. So I'll give you an example. Uh, again, I won't, I won't name anybody, but, you know, just um, having a plan and sticking to it. There were mm-hmm. several artists I've worked with where at the lat, literally right before you walk on stage, you know what? Never mind. We're not doing these three songs. We're going to do these other three songs. It's like, uh, okay. That's challenging as a band to try to, you know, be able to, um, you know, switch up last minute. Yeah. And, uh, and that typically had disastrous consequences yeah, yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. front of, in front of thousands of people. So I always, I, I always remember my time as a, a guitarist for other artists. And I try to then reverse engineer when I'm sending uh, my materials out, just try to make it as easy as possible for my band because, um, you know, I remember the days of, of trying to um, decipher, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what what's going to happen on this show. Yeah. So I try to make it as easy as possible. That's really wise of you. It's funny. I was just talking to an artist this past weekend and he was he had just come off of some shows and he had a similar experience to what you're talking about, where things got changed at the last minute and some people weren't prepared. And he was just so frustrated because he's like, oh, man, I spent all this time working. And, and I asked him, I asked him a question. I said, do you think the, the audience realized? And he said, no, the audience didn't realize. He said, but I knew. And that was frustrating for me, you know, and so I can imagine you guys are professionals, so you guys are good enough at going with the flow. But, yeah, I can imagine that being frustrating. Well, the flip the flip side is that, um, you know, we're all perfectionists. We're all our own worst critic. And so a lot of times when we feel like something didn't go well, it actually was 90 percent of a great show. Mm -hmm. And so that's the that's the kind of benefit of it is that if. You know, unless it was a train wreck, a lot of times the audience still had a great time. And yeah, yeah, we, of course, we would like it to be better, but that's part of being a professional is just, you know, trying to do the best you possibly can. Absolutely. Absolutely. So having worked with so many great people and, and like right now you're producing and doing your own thing. Do you ever get starstruck anymore? Oh gosh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I only been starstruck once and it's not because I, you know, I, I really truly, uh, you know, um, appreciate the greatness of all of these incredible yeah. artists. But, but the one time I really was, was lost for words was meeting, um, Chick Corea. Okay. And, uh, I, at that time, this is, this is maybe 15 years ago. I was on tour with, um, the Manhattan transfer and, uh, and they had, uh, in their catalog, they had an album that, um, that uh, were uh, it was an album of Chickory songs. They called mm-hmm. it Chickory Songbook, and so he showed up to one of our shows and sat in. And so uh, 
you know, I knew I was going to meet him, but all of a sudden backstage, there he was. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think I said anything. I think I just kind of bowed to him Uh and and, uh, it it was a very odd interaction. And then, and then, and then I noticed he felt like it was odd too. And that made it even more uncomfortable (laughs) (laughs) because he was just looking at me like, why isn't this guy talking? Uh And, uh, and then during the show, he took a a solo and then I had to solo after him. I was like, wow, this is like really wild. But, uh, but no, I think that was the only time I really got, you know, starstruck. Otherwise, you know, you know, what I I would say is what's been pleasantly surprising is the vast majority of legendary um, artists and talents out there are just the nicest, warmest people, you know? And so I think what's nice is that, you know, when a lot of these artists become legendary, you know, they they don't, they don't feel like they have to prove anything. So they're just, they're just warm people. They're very confident in, in what they're, what they offer. They don't feel like they need to have any pretense or any sort of attitude. They're just, you know, they're just very easy to get along with, Yeah, which is, uh, which is great. Yeah. Which is very is. Um, reassuring. And um, I was surprised, you know, you kind of expect meeting legendary people. They're going to be like a diva, but mm-hmm. the vast majority of them are just very warm people. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. You talked about a little bit about, you know, learning different things from different people and incorporating it, but not being a clone. So how do you describe your music? Mm. Yeah, well, uh, I definitely have taken note of the greats and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, and I hate to start listing people cause I'm going to leave someone out, but, um, but, you know, I have to start with George Benson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a huge inspiration, uh, of course, Norman Brown, but I listen to a lot of non-guitar players too, and, and take a lot from them too. Gerald Albright and, yeah. and, and Kirk Whalum, um, you know, both always, um, on my playlist. And, uh, and I also listen to music just all the time in general. So, yeah. you know, it's really a mixture of all of that, but I would say if I, if I had to pick any one thing, I always have a hand back. I love old school. So I always yeah. have a hand kind of reaching back into the seventies and the eighties, okay. primarily a little bit of the early nineties, but then at the same time, making sure that it sounds like a, a new record, a record that came out in 2022, but then, you know, just borrows some of the the grooves and vibes of, of those classic eras of R and B and soul and funk. And, yeah. and I mentioned a few of the artists already, earth, wind and fire and, you know, uh, cool in the gang and Prince and Michael Jackson. And, you know, it's all the stuff that I grew up on. And, um, so yeah, there's, there's usually a nod gap band, Charlie yeah. Wilson, um, you know, uh, Stevie Wonder. Yeah, there's there's usually a nod back to to some of those stylings in my music for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's take a listen to some of your music. Let's listen to Rising Up. This is today's guest, Adam Hawley.
All right, everybody. We just heard Adam Hawley with Rising Up. And so, Adam, you have a Ph.D. from USC, and you're also a music educator. Um, how have those experiences factored into how you do what you do and how you create the music that you create? Yes, sir. Yeah. So, yeah, as I mentioned, I started my academic career in 2002 at, at the University of Southern California, uh, right in the in the heart of L.A. And uh, and I, I was a glutton for punishment. I just stayed <laughs> and never left. So uh-huh. I was there for eight and a half years straight and did my bachelor's, master's and doctorate. And uh, wow. so, yeah, to answer your question, I mean, number one, it was just an incredible place to hone my skills Um just the guitarists that have attended that school is pretty astounding. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about Lee Rittenauer, Paul Jackson Jr., just just to name two. I mean, yeah. that, we could stop right there. Uh, they both went to the same uh, through the same program that I did, and, okay. and a host of others. Uh, so yeah, a lot of my first uh, uh, professional experiences came directly from going to USC. My very first tour with the Manhattan Transfer came from one of my professors. I literally okay. walked into school one day. He said, hey, I got called for this tour. I can't do it. Do you want to do it? And it was the Manhattan transfer. Um, Natalie Cole came from a fellow student, um, a gentleman. He was a year younger than me. Uh um, And he was leaving Natalie's gig and recommended me for it. Um, So, yeah, just they call it the Trojan family. The the USC Trojans. The Trojan is the mascot. So, yeah, the the Trojan family runs deep and and we're all always – you know, throwing opportunities back and forth to each other. And, uh, and all of my teaching positions have also come from fellow students. Okay. So that's the college I teach at right now, um, Saddleback College down in Mission Viejo, um, came directly from a person I spent, I had one class with them. And uh-huh. I guess I must have showed up on time and, <laughs> and uh, conducted myself well, because she remembered me. Uh, her name is Dr. Uh, Ariel Alexander. And she remembered me from that class. And literally messaged me on Facebook. I don't even remember meeting her. Uh-huh. She messaged me on Facebook. She said, man, love what you're doing out here. See you on the road and doing all these different things. And we'd love to have you come and teach it at Saddleback. And it was wow. a Facebook message. Okay. 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 <laughs> so anyways, as I said, the Trojan family runs deep. Yeah. And, uh, so no, that, that's been a huge part of my career and uh, definitely owe a lot to, um, to uh, being a Trojan for sure. So how do you make time for all of this though? I mean, the teaching is a consuming thing, you know, creating music is a consuming thing. Touring is a consuming thing. The business yeah. of the business is a consuming thing. So how yeah. do you make time for all this stuff? Well, yeah, the, the balance is, is, is very important. And, uh, I've gone through different waves of my career. And so now the primary thing is really production. That's what I spend mm-hmm. most of my week doing. I would say 50 to 60 hours a week. I'm okay. in the studio working on wow. um, either my next project, but more so working on projects for for other artists. And I just really enjoy it. It's just a lot yeah. of fun creating it. And every time it feels like pulling a rabbit out of the hat, there, there's no song. And the next thing you know, uh, in a matter of months, you know, it's out and it's on the radio which yeah. is just a magical thing uh, and sometimes it's very quick i mean blake aaron reached out to me he said hey i need a single in two weeks oh wow and so we finished it we got Najee on the track and it ended up being number one so wow. it went from there was no song to two weeks later it was on the radio and then within you know a couple months it was number one so it's it's a uh, it's a fun experience, but, um, but yeah, so right now, like, you know, uh, in terms of my schedule, I just teach one day a week. I teach okay. on Mondays 
and um, rest of the week is production. And then, of course, on the weekend, I'm out on the road you yeah. know, doing my shows. And uh, so that's the balance I've really uh, come to in the last, I would say, two to three years. And uh, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, cool, cool. When you're when you're working as a producer, are you is it are you crafting who and what you are to each artist or are you asking the artist, hey, come along this journey with me and trust me as I take you there? How does that process work for you? No, that's a great question. And uh, there's a lot of different ways that we, uh, you know, get to the final product. Sometimes artists will send me a demo that they've started uh-huh. and they'll have me take it the rest of the way. Uh, I'm actually working on a song right now uh, in that very scenario for Will uh, Donato. It's going to be his next single. So he sent okay. me a very cool demo and then I'm putting my spin on it, um, doing some writing to it and um, and taking it the rest of the way. Whereas other artists will um, reach out and say, hey, do you have an idea for me? And I'll send them some different tracks for them to check out and they'll find one that they really like and maybe they'll write the melody to it. And then sometimes in the case of uh, Blake Aaron, I did another song for him that's out right now. He came over to the studio and we did it old school. We, we huh. started from nothing and okay. wrote a song in a, in a day. And, uh, and so, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways to go about it, but number one, I was, I always tell anyone I'm working with is that we definitely want to retain your personality. Yeah. We definitely want to find, okay, what is, what is your groove? What is your vibe? What, you know, what, what are the different kind of things that are real to you? And then my job is to, is to still retain that, but then also bring it to life and take it the rest of the way and, and make sure that it's a recording that stands up against everything else that's out there. It's so competitive now. There's so many incredible recordings coming out, incredible artists releasing music all the way from new artists to legendary artists. And so the number one thing is when your track comes on, uh, whether it's in a playlist, it's on the radio, what have you. And then the next song is Gerald Albright. And then the next song is Boney James. Yeah. You know, it's got to feel like it belongs. Yeah. That's the number one thing. And, And the factors that go into that are getting great players on the record. Um, a great mix, a mm-hmm. great master, all the other production elements in terms of just bringing it to life, all the bells and whistles. Um, yeah, you know, and it's fun because every song is a puzzle, and yeah. there's no one solution to any one song. And I could have done used some sort of, you know, keyboard sound or guitar sound on one song. So then I think, oh, that worked great. Let me try to get it. Oh no, that's not quite it. So you keep searching till you get it. Yeah, you know? so, yeah. Uh, it's it's a it's a fun challenge. For yeah, sure. yeah. Do you perf- is there a preference for you um, working in the studio versus being on the road, or do they serve different parts of you? You know, it's actually uh, they really work together okay. really well. It's a lot of fun because yeah, be- me being on the road, I'm I'm just naturally meeting more people. Yeah, you know, and yeah. so I'll get out. I did a show in Texas. Uh, in Dallas, maybe two months ago, there was a lovely saxophonist there, uh, Arison Nicole. She was earlier, um, I was headlining the show and she played, I think either right before me or, or earlier in the day. Okay. And when we were signing CDs, she said, man, you know, great to meet you. Love yourself. I'd love you to do a track for me. So then we, get cool. on, we got on the phone the next week and then bam. So I'm working on her next single cool. and uh, should be coming out in the fall. So no, they really work together really well. Um, and it's just good to have inspiration too, just to get get away from the studio, get out yeah. and play. Uh, and then you can come back and recharge and, and vice versa. You know, it's great to, um, you know, get off the road for a little bit, kind of feel like you got your feet on the ground mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, so no, they really go hand in hand really well. Great. Great. Well, let's listen to another one of your creations. Let's listen to Escape featuring Rick Braun. 
heard Adam Hall, our guest today, with his song Escape featuring Rick Braun. So tell us, Adam, when just before you go out on stage, that few minutes before you're walking out, what are you like? Are you calm as cucumber? Are you a little nervous? Are you excited? Yeah, you know, um, I'm usually fairly calm just because I've been doing this so long. You know, I'm I'm uh, I've been on the road now 26, 27 years. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so no, I, I I'm more so focused on and it's funny. I mentioned a little bit earlier, too, that it's funny. It becomes less and less about the music. Hopefully, and what I mean by that is hopefully me being able to play the guitar well hopefully that's already taken care of because really what I'm more focused on is, um, you know, conducting the band, Uh um, um, you know, making sure, you know, uh, queuing different sections. Hey, we're going to the bridge. We're breaking it down, um, connecting with the audience, Mm -hmm. um, really, uh, making sure the arc of each song and of the set in general, really, we hit all of the important emotional elements. You know, you've got to obviously have some upbeat material, but then you've got to have, you know, a nice ballad that's, that's, you know, touching and kind of draws people in yeah, and so on. So those are kind of more so what I'm thinking of is, is just hitting all of those different points that I really want to hit in the show. Uh, you know, my, my banter in between each song and mm-hmm. um, cause I really value, yes, I want to have great songs and, and, and great material, but I really value, um, uh, connecting with the audience. And, yeah. and those are the biggest things I take from, especially working with Dave cause is, is I feel like he's the, the best at that in terms of, um, yeah, he's an amazing saxophone player has great material, but also figuring out how to really, you know, make that connection with, um, each and every person, um, in the audience. And mm-hmm. so, um, so th- those are the kind of things I'm thinking about when I'm right about to go on stage. Yeah. What are you hoping that your, your, your fans feel or take away from one of your shows? Well, it's just that I I'm hoping to hit a lot of different, um, you know, kind of emotional, uh, uh or, or a lot of different emotions. You know, I want to, um, number one, I want to come out the bat, grab their attention from song one. And at the same time, I want to have like a nice acoustic unplugged moment where we can really draw them in. And then I definitely like to have fun and and get the party going by the end of the show. So that's always important to me too, is get people, you know, energized, get them up dancing and, um, and then also have some, you know, intellectual, you know, real musical moments too. So I always like to throw in like a standard or or like a, some sort of tune that we can, I can really feature the band and, and they get a chance to stretch out, you know? So yeah, I really want to hit all of those, all of those different elements and, um, you know, really give people a, a bang for their buck. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, we're, we're fortunate enough to have you playing our Fresh Coast Jazz Festival in August this year. And do you remember the last time you played Milwaukee? You know, I was in, um, Racine last summer. Okay. And uh, okay. it was so, it was so much fun. Uh, the, uh, uh, I think we were talking about uh, before we got started, the, the uh, weather was just gorgeous. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so very excited to come back up your way this summer. And uh, yeah, always love uh, coming up to the Midwest, got incredible fans there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So no, it's going to be a blast. Yeah. I tell you, everybody that I've talked to that I've told when I've, when I've mentioned you, um, they've been like, oh, cool, you know. So people here are really looking forward to to seeing your show, and I, I'm really excited to you know to have you here. And you know, I love your approach though too, because I think you make a great point about Dave Cos. He is so good at incorporating the crowd 
into yeah. what he does. And so I know that our fans will enjoy that too. So we're looking forward to having you. Definitely. No, it's my pleasure. Yeah. So Adam, we do this, this segment on each show, we call it bout it or doubt it. Okay. So okay. if you're about it, it's something that you like. If you doubt it, it's something you're just not quite feeling. Can we, can we twist your arm and get you to play? Of course. Let's uh, do it. All right. I started get this body body. If you bout it, get him up. I mean you body body. That I mean you body. body. We say you body body. Uh, I represent. I doubt it. So what we'll do is we'll, we're going to spin the wheel. We're going to get you a category. Then we're going to ask you a couple of about it or doubt it questions. Okay. Great. All, All right. right. All right, Adam. Your category is TV shows. I, I get a sense you probably don't have a lot of time for TV, but we're gonna we're gonna roll ahead with this anyway. So, <laughs> bout it or doubt it, Survivor, the show Survivor. Oh gosh, I guess doubt it. I I don't have any dislike for it, but I I don't know that I've seen an episode. <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, there. no, you're exactly right. There's not a, not a ton of TV watching. Uh, you know, we might watch something on the plane, but uh, uh-huh. but uh, that's about it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm gonna make the next one easier then because I know you worked on American Idol, correct? Yeah. So, yes, bout it or doubt it, singing competition shows. Oh, I think it's great. I mean, you know, it, I understand the the dissenters in that. Oh, you know, you used to have to work your way up. Uh, you know, this the uh, you know, and 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 play in the clubs and hone mm-hmm. your craft before becoming you know uh, 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 worldwide famous. But on the flip side, I think any thing that uh, brings uh, positivity and, yeah. and brings music to the forefront can't be a bad thing. Yeah. So I think it's definitely a shift in terms of, um, you know, the uh, the marketplace and the ecosystem of the music industry. But I, it can't be a bad thing to have more people listening to music and appreciating music. And um, but it is wild because, you know, I teach college age students. Right. So they're uh-huh. all eight, between 18 to uh, to 20, 21. And so. Um, They've as long as they've been alive, there's been, or as, at least as long as they can remember, there's been a, a singing competition show. Yep. So yep. I was trying to explain to them how it was before that, and it was just a lot of blank <laughs> stares. I was like, "Wow, this is this is wild." Yeah, 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 yeah. A very different animal than what it used to be. Like, no doubt about that. But I, you know, I tell you, for me, I, 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 I used to really like them, and then I kind of got tired of them. But last night on NBC premiered American Song Contest, which mm. was really what the, the premise of the show is that they find um, artists from all 50 states and territories and they compete to represent where they're from. Right. And wow. Okay. I was blown away last night by the level of talent on that show. Mm. It's just like. Like these people were, I mean, they had, they had like people from 11 different areas last night and mm. I, every one of these people was like amazingly talented. I was really blown away by it. Well, and I'll give you an analogy like, yeah, in, in a, it, I'll, I'll, I'll take myself for example, um, in a perfect world, the record industry would exist like it did for its first 80 years or so, where mm-hmm. you would get a record deal, you'd, you'd get in advance, you'd sell records. You know, in in this in the contemporary jazz genre, you might sell a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand. Of course, mm-hmm. Kenny, you know, Kenny G is going diamond, but yeah. But even if you were like a, a decent artist, you would sell hundred to hundred fifty thousand. However, I 
the the flip side of that is now the technology is available where you can make a record yourself at yes. your own studio yes. where that wasn't available before. So I can say with a fact, you know, I don't know where I would be today if it weren't for home recording technology, because when I made my first record, I did not have a deal. Uh -huh. I did it myself. Mm -hmm. Now, when the album was completely done and I had self-funded it, I had self-produced it, done it all myself, then I got a deal. Yeah. Right. So my point is, is that if this were 30 years ago, I never even would have been able to make the record because yeah, you have to have a point. deal to get in the studio. Yeah. You know, so uh, I'll bring it back home. These these singing competitions. Yeah, it's a different animal. But these people are not having to go through, you know, certain gatekeepers in order yep. to be heard. There, There's an opportunity for them to be discovered just via the show. Of course, they have to take it and run with it. But, of course. Um, but no, I think I think there's more opportunities to hear great artists, which that can, again that can't be a bad thing. No doubt, no doubt. So, so how do you know when a song is ready to be released to the world? That's a great question too, because uh, you could keep tweaking on a song endlessly, uh, mm -hmm. and, and we've seen this over the years, especially with you know major pop artists that are uh, that have big budgets. They'll work on an album for. <laughs> two, three, four, five, ten years. Right, right. So I think there's an importance in deadlines. Mm -hmm. I think deadlines are very important because at some point you have to turn the record in. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's very important, even if it's arbitrary, even if you just say to yourself, oh, you know, I, I really need to put something out in the fall. I think that's a great thing. At some point you, you stamp it done. Yeah. You put it out. The flip side, too, is that uh, every song has a shelf life. There be, there comes a point where it starts to sound like a song that should have come out two, three, four years ago. Okay. Okay. So you, you can also miss your blessing if you keep tweaking on it. And yeah. the next thing you know, it, it sounds like an older song. It doesn't sound like something that would come out. So yeah, yeah you got to find that balance. And at a certain point, Hey, it's done. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we need to put it out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> when you, when you let it go, are you, are you able to let it go freely or are you kind of like, Ooh, I hope everybody receives it well. Or are you like happy with, I did what I was hoping to do with this song? Yeah, that's a great question too. Uh, yeah, you, 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 you know, you can have some thoughts like, oh, what if I would have done this? Maybe the guitar should have been a little louder. What's funny though, is some of the songs that I've agonized the most about and wasn't, didn't feel a hundred percent happy with, mm -hmm. I'll take a break from it and then listen maybe a year later. And then I have a hard time finding what was it that I wasn't liking. It, the okay. song sounds good, uh -huh, you know. Uh -huh. So I think if you have high enough standards, even if it's if it's only at ninety five percent of what you think it should be, that's still going to be really good. Yeah, so I think yeah. if you keep your standards really high, you, you also have to at some point let go because you, we're all our own worst critic. And the reality is, a lot of what we're internalizing in terms of not feeling like it's as good as it could be. We're hearing in our head all of the different ways we we recorded it. Oh, mm -hmm. I can't, there was take one, take two, take three, take four. And we start agonizing over that. The final listener doesn't know any of that. They just take it at yeah. face value. This is the song. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Good I point. think we also have to, as artists, as producers, we have to get out of our own heads and, hey, no one's going to know that maybe there was another take where I played it a little different. They yeah. will never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. Good point. And so occasionally I have to remind myself, but normally I have that in my head. And then sometimes I do have to remind who I'm working with. Hey, you know, they will never know that you played uh, this solo 10 different ways. Mm -hmm, you know, they're going to mm -hmm. hear it and, and, and receive it and, uh, and, and probably love it. So yeah. uh, again, 
sometimes that deadline is 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 the perfect thing just to hey we need let's wrap this up we got to get it out yeah (laughs) yeah so when you're not making music or teaching what what do you like to do with your time the little bit of time that you have (laughs) right yeah no definitely no i have a lovely family i have my wife cat and our son adam jr um he's 13 years old okay uh so we really enjoy uh, hanging out with him. He's very active in basketball right now. He's in a travel ball league. So, um, oh, great. so when I'm not on the road, I, you know, we enjoy going to his games. He usually has uh, basketball six days a week. Wow. So he's got, you know, practices, training. Uh, and then on usually Saturday and Sunday, he'll have anywhere from from two to four games um, okay. on Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, so no, of course we, we enjoy our family time. Yeah. Um, when we get a chance, you know, we'll go on a trip. Our, our favorite spot to go is Hawaii just because oh, um, cool. we're in, we're in LA. So uh-huh. it's a direct flight. It's a, it's a five hour flight. So it's a pretty easy, uh, uh, affordable option from Los Angeles. Yeah. And, uh, they don't, they don't hit you over the head too hard for that, uh, airfare. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, so we're going, we're going to go there, um, I think in mid June and uh, just have a little trip and then, uh, and then, yeah. And actually we're dovetailing that right into a family reunion the week later, uh, we're all getting together, uh, my wife's side of the family down in Florida. So, so oh, yeah, great. family time is very important Good, and, uh, we get it in when we can because, uh, you know, we're on the go so much. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's something your fans would be surprised to learn about you, Adam? Oh gosh, they they know a lot already because I do a <laughs> weekly, I do a weekly Facebook show. I've been doing it now for two years, um, every Wednesday, mm-hmm. and uh, you're in Central Time, so it would be yeah. eight p.m. every Wednesday. And so, yeah, gosh, they've they've uh, you know, and I do an Ask Adam segment every um, every week, so yeah. uh, they've they've gotten to know me quite well. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that hasn't been. Uh, Hasn't been discovered yet, but yeah, they're usually surprised to, to hear piano was uh-huh. the first instrument. Um, they're usually surprised to hear, uh, you know, my, my parents were always pushing for, um, you know, that, you know, th- it was very strange to them that I wanted to move to California and, and be a musician. They said, really? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, cause I was very, um, uh, in high school, I excelled at, at mathematics. And, and so they said, oh, you should really go into engineering or, uh-huh. or law, and uh, so I, I guess I've got one um, funny story for you. Yeah. Um, when I really felt like I would finally get a chance to show them what I do, I did a, a show in in Oregon, at in Portland, where uh-huh. the uh, Portland Trailblazers play the NBA Arena. Yeah. So it's a it's a show that that held maybe sixteen thousand people or so. And so I'm playing with Dave Cos. We're opening for Barry Manilow. Sixteen thousand people. I get my parents' tickets, so I'm thinking, okay, they're finally going to see, you know, that, you know, I, I worked it out. I figured it out. So they see me do the show. I catch them after, and they said, yeah, so uh, is everything okay? Do you need any money? Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, I thought that was so funny. that They're not going to get it, but uh-huh, that's okay. Uh-huh. That's okay, you know? So, But I have to give them credit. They were super supportive from the beginning, drove yeah. me to all of those um, guitar lessons, piano lessons, voice lessons, uh, you know, recitals, um, you know, uh, were supportive in me starting a band and and yeah. driving around. And, and once I got my license, you know, they, they, they just let me go, you know, they come to some of the shows, but they'd also, you know, were confident enough in me to let me, Hey, you got a show in Washington. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. You know, we'll see you when you get back. You know, yeah. so they also gave me enough kind of tether 
on the leash to let me kind of go out and do my thing. And um, so I'm, I'm grateful for that for sure. Well, and I got to believe that they can't be, can't be any more proud of you having, you know, seeing your kids accomplish things and really just rise to the top in their craft. That's got to be a pretty cool feeling for parents. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's take a listen to one more of your songs. How about we listen to, uh, gotta get up. This is our guest, Adam Hawley.
right, everybody, we just heard today's guest, Adam Holly's song, Gotta Get Up. So, Adam, do you remember the first concert you ever went to? I do. Yeah. I was a huge Beatles fan um, from about 10, year, 10 to 12 years old um, before I started getting in, more into jazz, getting more into, um, you know, R&B and, and gospel. But there was, uh-huh. there was a couple of years there where I was a huge Beatles fan. So my first concert was Ringo Starr. Okay. And it was in uh, Portland, Oregon at the Arlene Snitcher Hall, which is a gorgeous performing arts center. It maybe holds 4,000 people or something. And um and what's crazy is that Ringo, uh, he does an all-star band and he rotates his lineup. So that year, I remember distinctly, I remember it. Man, there was this really cool percussionist, female percussionist. She was uh-huh. Latin. It was Sheila E. No and kidding. And I toured, I toured with her uh, what would have been about 20 years later. Wow. I toured with her in, in Europe. So it's pretty crazy that I saw Ringo and in the band with Sheila when I was about 11 and then in 20... I would say 2013, um, when I was, what would I have been, 28, 29. Um, so, yeah, almost 20 years later, maybe 18 years later, I ended up touring, uh, playing guitar for her in Europe for about three weeks. That's so it's pretty amazing. Wild. Do, do you get a chance to go to, to concerts much anymore? Or? I don't go to a lot of concerts because I'm, I'm, you know, I do, this year I'll do 60 shows. Wow, so, that's um, a lot. So I'm I'm at a lot of concerts already, and yeah. it's great because you get a chance to either somebody's playing before you, or 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 if you get in a day early, you go check out whoever's playing. So um so that's usually how I'll catch music is um yeah. For instance, um I was in San Antonio uh, a couple years ago. I got in a day early. I found out Jeff Lorber was playing. Oh yeah. So I was like, okay, let me go down there and hang out and say what's up. And yeah. I've known Jeff for for ten. 10, 11 years. So, uh, you know, so that, that's usually how I'll, I'll catch some music is, yeah. uh, is usually I'll come in a day early, catch, uh, catch whoever's on the bill. Cool. 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 So I have a couple questions I like to ask all of our guests. And so I'm going to throw them at you right now. So can you tell us your three favorite albums of all time? Oh my God. <laughs> uh, that's well, usually the response I get well, to. I have <laughs> I have to put Breezin on there because okay. yep. um, that was, I hadn't heard the entire album, but I heard the song when I was, I can remember it. Uh, I, and I can remember everything about it. I was driving. I was probably 16 because I just started driving on my own. And the drummer in my band gave me a mixtape and it had Breezin on it. It blew my mind. So uh, Breezin's got to be on there. Uh, I'm trying to think. I think I got to put After the Storm on there too. Another yeah. Bridge uh, yeah. album, but um you know, Norman Brown, great yeah. record. I remember when I was maybe a sophomore in college, listening to that album over and over. Um, the album already had been out about nine years, but um, I just remember that, you know, really digging into that. And yeah. uh, gosh, if I had to pick one more, um, ah, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> that's hard. I think I'd say Earth, Wind & Fire, Greatest Hits, because it's hard to pick one of their individual albums. So I'm, I'm going to kind of, you know, uh, Pop out and say their greatest hits because then you get uh, you get so many other great tunes. That's but, uh, fair game. I remember having I remember having their greatest hits album on CD and just wearing it out. Yeah, and just uh, just loving it. And uh, I have all their individual albums too. But but I'll go greatest greatest hits. Cool, 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 cool. All right. And the other question is, you're having a dinner party. You can invite any three guests you want to invite, living or dis- deceased. Who's coming? Mm. Who's coming to your dinner party, and what's on the menu? 
Well, I may have to invite a few people. I've been very fortunate. I've, I've, I've played or at least met pretty much all of the incredible artists that are out there right now. So I probably have to pick some ones that we've lost. Definitely Grover Washington. Would yeah. Have to be on there. Um, you said, do I have to pick three? Yeah. Three. Give us three. Um, Wayman Tisdale. I didn't. Yes. Meet, and I'm, a, and I'm a massive fan of Wayman and I, and I never met him, unfortunately. And, uh, Joe sample. I didn't meet either. I did see him play, but I didn't get a chance to meet him. So uh, I think I would pick those three just yeah. because they're all, you know, a big, a big part of my musical lineage. Um, and, uh, and uh, would have loved to meet him and, and even collaborate. So what's on the menu? Oh, my God. Uh, well, you know, my wife's family, they're all from Louisiana. So I'm partial okay. to uh, soul food. Uh, uh-huh. That's how they that's how they trap me into the family. Uh, cook, them, <laughs> cook them for me every Sunday. So, uh, yeah, we got to have some some soul. Food there you go. The yeah. Well, well, that would be a good that would be a great time. I, that would be a party. I'd like to be a fly on the wall. at. I tell you, yes, sir. Of all the shows <laughs> I've been to, one of the most memorable things at, at any show I ever went to was a Wayman Tisdale show where him and the band that like were just playing around and they started riffing on um, cartoon theme songs. And mm. it was it was one of the they were having such a good time. The audience was having such a good time. And I remember that that was a long, long time ago. And I still remember that show like it was yesterday. So so wow, you've got a incredible. great list. You've got a great list. So tell us what the rest of 2022 holds for you, Adam. Oh, gosh. You know, uh, I just feel really fortunate. Got um, uh, a lot of shows coming up. I've probably done maybe 12 so far. There's going to be 60 total so a lot of great festivals coming up seabreeze yeah. the dave cause cruise uh newport festival uh jazz legacy uh so yeah i don't want i want to bore the listeners but yeah. you can definitely go to adam adamholly.com and, and get all of my uh tour schedule so just very excited very excited to come hang out with you guys absolutely this summer absolutely. it's gonna be a blast and um yeah the the new album just came out six months ago so yeah. yeah so we're still touring that album i'll have another single from that album come out in the fall um and uh, what else working on music for a lot of different people i've got a couple of albums i'm doing for a, a couple of great artists coming out in the fall great. um a lot of singles um and uh yeah just keeping it pushing just keeping the music going well please do because we are enjoying what you're doing man and you're making a big impact with your music on a lot of people so we we really appreciate you being able to take some time to chop it up with us today and we wish you nothing but continued success and we can't wait to see you here in august at milwaukee Awesome. Can't wait. Thank you so much and it was great talking with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everybody, that was our show for today. Uh, Be sure to get your tickets now for the 2022 Fresh Coast Jazz Festival, August 26th and 27th at the Pabst Theater in Milwaukee. We've got a great lineup featuring the the gentlemen we just talked to, Adam Hawley, Bob James, Najee, Gabriella Anders, Alex Buñol, and more. So get your tickets at freshcoastjazz.com. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage.